Day 2 of Totus Tuus's Novena, with quotes from John Paul II's encyclical, Redemptor Hominis. In spite of all appearances, the Church is now more united in the fellowship of service and in the awareness of apostolate. This unity springs from the principle of collegiality, mentioned by the Second Vatican Council. Christ himself made this principle a living part of the Apostolic College of the Twelve, with Peter at their head, and he is continuously renewing it in the College of the Bishops, which is growing more and more over all the earth, remaining united with and under the guidance of the successor of St. Peter. The Council did more than mention the principle of collegiality. It gave it immense new life by, among other things, expressing the wish for a permanent organ of collegiality, which Paul VI founded by setting up the Synod of the Bishops, whose activity not only gave a new dimension to his pontificate, but was also later clearly reflected in the pontificate of John Paul I and that of his unworthy successor from the day they began. The principle of collegiality showed itself particularly relevant in the difficult post-conciliar period, when the shared unanimous position of the College of the Bishops, which displayed chiefly through the Synod, its union with Peter's successor, helped to dissipate doubts and at the same time indicated the correct ways for renewing the Church in her universal dimension. Indeed, the Synod was the source, among other things, of that essential momentum for evangelization that found expression in the apostolic exhortation Evangelii Nuntiandi, which was so joyously welcomed as a programme for renewal, which was both apostolic and also pastoral. The same line was followed in the work of the last ordinary session of the Synod of the Bishops, held about a year before the death of Pope Paul VI, and dedicated, as is known, to catechesis. The results of this work have still to be arranged and enunciated by the Apostolic See. As we are dealing with the evident development of the forms in which episcopal collegiality is expressed, mention must be made at least to the process of consolidation of national episcopal conferences throughout the Church and of other collegial structures of an international or continental character. Referring also to the centuries-old tradition of the Church, attention must be directed to the activity of the various diocesan, provincial and national synods. It was the Council's idea an idea consistently put into practice by Paul VI, that structures of this kind, with their centuries of trial by the Church, and the other forms of collegial collaboration by bishops, such as the metropolitan structure, not to mention each individual diocese, should pulsate in full awareness of their own identity, and at the same time, of their own originality within the universal unity of the Church. The same spirit of collaboration and shared responsibility is spreading among priests also, as is confirmed by the many council of priests that have sprung up since the council. That spirit is extended also among the laity, not only strengthening the already existing organizations for lay apostolate, but also creating new ones that often have a different outline and excellent dynamism. Furthermore, lay people, conscious of their responsibility for the church, have willingly committed themselves to collaborating with their pastors and with the representatives of the Institutes of Consecrated Life in the spheres of the diocesan synods and of the pastoral councils in the parishes and dioceses. I must keep all this in mind at the beginning of my pontificate as a reason for giving thanks to God 
for warmly encouraging all my brothers and sisters, and for recalling with heartfelt gratitude the work of the Second Vatican Council and my great predecessors, who set in motion this new surge of life for the Church, a movement that is much stronger than the symptoms of doubt, collapse and crisis. What shall I say of the initiatives that have sprung from the new ecumenical orientation? The unforgettable Pope John XXIII set out the problem of Christian unity with evangelical clarity as a simple consequence of the will of Jesus Christ himself, our Master, the will that Jesus stated on several occasions, but to which he gave expression in a special way, in his prayer in the upper room, the night before he died. I pray, Father, that they may all be one. The Second Vatican Council responded concisely to this requirement with its decree on ecumenism. Pope Paul VI, availing himself of the activities of the Secretariat for promoting Christian unity, began the first difficult steps on the road to the attainment of that unity. Have we gone far along that road? Without wishing to give a detailed reply, we can say that we have made real and important advances. And one thing is certain. We have worked with perseverance and consistency, and the representatives of other Christian churches and communities have also committed themselves together with us, for which we are heartily grateful to them. It is also certain that in the present historical situation of Christianity and the world, the only possibility we see of fulfilling the Church's universal mission with regard to ecumenical questions is that of seeking sincerely, perseveringly, humbly and also courageously the ways of drawing closer and of union. Pope Paul VI gave us his personal example for this. We must therefore seek unity without being discouraged at the difficulties that can appear or accumulate along that road. Otherwise we would be unfaithful to the word of Christ. We would fail to accomplish his testament. Have we the right to run this risk? There are people who, in the face of the difficulties, or because they consider that the first ecumenical endeavours have brought negative results, would have liked to turn back. Some even express the opinion that these efforts are harmful to the cause of the gospel, are leading to a further rupture in the church, are causing confusion of ideas and questions of faith and morals, and are ending up with a specific indifferentism. It is perhaps a good thing that the spokesmen for these opinions should express their fears. However, in this respect also, correct limits must be maintained. It is obvious that this new stage in the Church's life demands of us a faith that is particularly aware, profound and responsible. True ecumenical activity means openness, drawing closer, availability for dialogue and a shared investigation of the truth in the full evangelical and Christian sense. But in no way does it, or can it, mean giving up or in any way diminishing the treasures of divine truth that the Church has constantly confessed and taught. To all who, for whatever motive, would wish to dissuade the Church from seeking the universal unity of Christians, the question must once again be put. Have we the right not to do it? Can we fail to have trust, in spite of all human weakness and all the faults of past centuries, in our Lord's grace as revealed recently through what the Holy Spirit said and we heard during the Council. If we were to do so, 
we would deny the truth concerning ourselves that was so eloquently expressed by the Apostle. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. What we have just said must also be applied, although in another way and with the due differences, to activity for coming closer together with the representatives of non-Christian religions, and activity expressed through dialogue, contacts, prayer in common, investigation of the treasures of human spirituality, in which, as we know well, the members of these religions also are not lacking. Does it not sometimes happen that the firm belief of the followers of the non-Christian religions, a belief that is also an effect of the spirit of truth operating outside the visible confines of the mystical body, can make Christians ashamed at being often themselves so disposed to doubt concerning the truths revealed by God and proclaimed by the Church, and so prone to relax moral principles and open the way to ethical permissiveness. It is a noble thing to have a predisposition for understanding every person, analysing every system, and recognising what is right. This does not at all mean losing certitude about one's own faith, or weakening the principles of morality, the lack of which will soon make itself felt in the life of whole societies, with deplorable consequences besides. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, keep us in your love. Let us hear your voice and believe what you say, for you alone have the words of life. Teach us how to profess our faith, bestow our love, and impart our hope to others. Make us convincing witnesses to your gospel in a world so much in need of your saving grace. Make us the new people of the Beatitudes, that we may be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, at the beginning of the third Christian millennium. Amen. Mary, Mother of Christ and of the Church, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.